I remember just thinking, um, I don't want to live anymore. When I was like, you know, 17, 18 is when I first started drinking. I remember I told my mom and dad for the last time, like, hey, I need help. And I actually mean it this time. That's for those of you listening, whether you're a resident in the program, whether you're a family member, a current or a future supporter. But life today is good. When I was seeing it work in other people as well as myself, something just changed. I've got a little over five years of sobriety. This is the Hope Dealers Podcast. Welcome back to the Hope Dealers Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Fitzpatrick. We are so excited to be here today for a brand new episode, and I'm joined by a fantastic guest, great friend, co-worker, all of the above, fellow Hope mm-hmm. is Alive alumni, Deanna Shaddix. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing, Sean? I'm great. Great. Good. So thankful that you decided to join us today. Yeah. Um, Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Deanna's got a wonderful story. I'm just going to say it right off the bat before we even get into it. Um, mm. For those of you who may have been to our inspiring lunch this previous year, um, Deanna was highlighted. Mm-hmm. She's got four young, wonderful children. Yes. She's a graduate of the program. You graduated with me, so it's been a like a little over a year now. Yeah. That's yeah. crazy. God. That day right? seems like yesterday. It did. It um, did. But you also work for Hope is Alive. You're our alumni coordinator. Yes. Slash uh, LA's best friend. Yes. <laughs> L- <laughs> yeah, no, but definitely our alumni coordinator does a wonderful job um, keeping all of our alumni together and keeping that community alive, whether it be with our meetings and um, all the mm-hmm. outings that we do together. So very, yes. very grateful for Deanna for all of that. I love it. Yeah. Do you, are yeah. You, you loving the job? Yeah. I love the job. I do. It's... It's so rewarding to be able to take part in the lives of the people who put in really hard work to have the lives that they, and get to just watch their lives play out and the fruits of the program. It's kind of like the opposite. I was thinking about this before we started recording today. It's kind of like, you're like the opposite of a program manager in a way. Yeah. Whereas, (laughs) you know, all of our program managers, which they they all do a, you know, fantastic job. Yes. Um, But they're seeing all these individuals as they enter recovery, as they, you know, Mm -hmm. start this journey, as they go through it, whereas you're walking with them on the other side. Yes. Yes. They get all the, the peeling and healing and all that. And I get to just walk in the freedom with them. (laughs) Yeah. And it's probably fun too. uh, just, you know, especially for those that are a little further out, like in, you know, Kansas city or North Carolina, just kind of getting to catch up with them and see where they're at in life. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. They, it's so cool to see how the outside markets, they have their own like individual just thing out there. They have it. They're all very tight knit. And I love to see that, you know, they've just, We've grown up together in Oklahoma City, but we've got a lot going on in Oklahoma City. Yes, where it's it's them yeah. out there, you know, and and it's just it's really neat. It's really neat to watch. For sure, they have a very strong bond. Yeah, I like what you said about how like you know I, I've said this before. There is a lot more of us in OKC mm-hmm. for those of us who went to the program here and work here now, um, but there is something to that smaller. Yeah, a set of people out in the outer side, outside markets. Mm-hmm. Um, I've said that a lot. You know, I, I do a lot of traveling for us, and you know, I, I visit the Wichita crew a lot. Well, the Kansas crew really, because Wichita and Kansas City are kind of 
Yes. Becoming one big team out there. Right. Um, and it is, it is very cool to see that just because, you know, you don't see them out there making excuses just because, oh, well, there's not, you know, 80 of us out here. Mm -hmm. Um, they still make it their own. Yes. Yeah. They, they definitely make it their own and they, you know, whenever I do my, my, you know, I'll reach out to volunteer leaders and see just how the meeting went. And it's always like they have just these great and, you know, vulnerable shares. Like they just, it's a, it's a family. Yeah. It's a very tight knit family and they are always checking in on each other. They're always, you know, they're just doing life together yeah. still, even outside of the program. Love it. Yeah. Love it's it. pretty cool. Well, what we, you know, what brings you here today, we want to hear mm-hmm. about, you know, your career and everything, but every story has a beginning. Yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, you know, the reason I wanted to have you on here is for our listeners to hear about your journey, because if you don't get hope from Deanna's story, mm-hmm. I don't really know what to tell you. <laughs> um, <laughs> Thank you, so, Sean. Deanna, just to get started, how old are you? I'm 37. 37. When yes. did you start using? Uh, the first time I drank alcohol was um, when I was 14. I started numbing pain with it when I was 15. Okay. So, um, so 14 recreational, 15 abusing. Yes. Yes. So I, you know, whenever I look back on my life, there was a pattern. Um, <clears throat> so if I wasn't in a relationship, I was drinking alcohol and smoking weed. Whenever I would enter a relationship, I would enmesh in that relationship. And that was where I healed or I was, I I say healed, I wasn't healed at all, but I was um, finding comfort in whether it was a relationship or whether it was drugs or alcohol. Um, But that's when that pattern started was at the age of 15. Gotcha. And is it just because you know, of of the relationship thing. Is that why you continue to drink? And is that Mm. what spirals out, you know? uh, Yes. Yeah. So I would, I would focus all of my attention on the relationship I was in. And when, and of course it wasn't healthy relationships. I I didn't know how to have those back then. Uh, But once those would start spiraling out and it would come to an end, I found the comfort in the drugs and the alcohol. Mm-hmm. That was the way I coped with it until I entered the next relationship. And every time I would come out of that cycle, uh, or I would, you know, come out of the relationship part of it into the, it was always worse. So mm. the first time it was alcohol. The second time it was alcohol and marijuana. Here come the Xanaxes. Mm. You know, it was just, and then once I was 23 years old is when, um, no, I take that back. I was 27. Sorry. Um, is when I, uh, the opiates and the methamphetamine, I wasn't, I was in a relationship during the duration of my big fallout with drugs and alcohol, um, from the age of 27 until I got sober Mm -hmm. at 33. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, it, it had just taken on a whole nother, yeah. whole nother face once those, those things came into my life. For sure. I mean, so you had, you have four kids mm-hmm. and so yes. kind of walk me through that a little bit. Like what it's like, you know, having your first child while you're over mm-hmm. here struggling with substance. Well, I actually, so it's, I'm glad you asked that question. So at that point in my life, I, um, 
I actually was still, I was, I entered into a relationship with her dad. Mm-hmm. Um, and so entering into that relationship, the, the alcohol was, was out of, you know, I was in a relationship and the alcohol was gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wasn't struggling because I found him. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and she and I, you know, had her and, um, we got married shortly after. And that was really when I felt like life made sense. Yeah. You know, life just made sense. I was a wife, I was a mother. And this um, is how it's supposed to look. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And especially, you know, when I look back over my childhood, like we just kind of have, you know, this thing that is sort of embedded in us, right? Like we're just kind of taught to be, married, have children. That's what it is. Right. You know? And so I had that, I had my husband and I had my baby. <clears throat> and so life was, was better. It was better. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, and I, mind you, I had no, and I had no understanding of what alcoholism was. Yeah. I didn't know what the disease was. Mind you, I had, you know, driven under the influence. I had had alcohol poisoning, um, in years prior to this and, but still there was no awareness. There was no education on it at all. So, um, life is good though. You know, I've got my kid, I've got my husband and, um, but it's not enough. Well, it, it was, it was until, until, um, he was killed in an accident at work. Oh goodness. And that is, you know, we, we, <laughs> we learn about things in Hope is Alive. Yeah which are black hole moments. Mm -hmm. And my actual black hole moment was when I was a child. Um, However, the feelings that I had after this certain experience as a child, um, I felt very alone. I felt different from my friends. I felt completely isolated. Yeah after this, you know, particular incident when I was a kid. Uh So whenever all of a sudden I wasn't a wife anymore, I was a widow. When that happened, um, that I felt all, you know, abandoned. My husband was gone. My life was completely flipped upside down. Um, and so I, a lot of those feelings of like, nobody understands this. You know, there was very few people that I knew anywhere near my age that had to go through that. Yeah. Um, and I had a baby to raise. Yeah. You know, it single was single mom now. Single mom now. And widow. it was a, a widow. And it was a tragic, sudden accident. Um, and so of course, you know, what do I do? I go back to the bars. Mm-hmm. You know, relationships. What I had found to um take care of me in the past. So I thought, um, but yeah, so, you know, going forward, I just stayed in that cycle of, you know, I did have another child after her, um, my second daughter, I hadn't completely fallen off yet though. Hadn't completely fallen off. I was in the bars smoking weed, but I wasn't, um, I wasn't too far gone yet. Sure. Now, um, it was, let's see. 2014 is when I was in, my second daughter was one. I was introduced to opiates and I had dabbled in them before, but for whatever reason it took root Yeah, 
in 2014. And it wasn't, um, it was less than a year later. I, um, am, I am introduced to methamphetamine. A month after that, I'm an IV meth user. Wow. It didn't take any time. <laughs> you know, <I> just, whoop. <laughs> so just like that. Just like that. And that's what started the, just the next six years. Yeah. Was extreme chaos. Um, there was two blessings I did receive in the next two years. I did have two more children. Yeah. And though those kids um, were the only thing that kept me alive. Uh, the only thing. And I had bouts, multiple bouts with DHS during those years. Uh, but I... When you say bouts, can you tell our listeners kind of what the means were they? Mm -hmm. So they would, they would come, someone would call, Uh make a a a referral and they would come in to investigate. Um, The first time uh, they, it wasn't, they didn't remove the children. They just kind of monitored our situation from a distance. Yeah. I say distance. They were checking in on us. Um, They weren't removed from my custody. The second time they came in, I, and this was, I'd had my third child at this point. They did remove them from my custody. I went to treatment and 30 days later, the children were in treatment with me. So, and that was really interesting. You know, I, looking back on that time, I'm really, I'm not glad that they had to go to treatment with me, but they started, my oldest, she started to learn about the disease. The counseling there was amazing. Um, That's interesting. You know, how you say that your oldest started to learn, um, it was probably the beginning of a journey for her as well, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. it was. Um, yeah. And unfortunately, that wasn't where it ended for all of us. Yeah. I did receive, now granted, mind you, the whole time I am in this treatment facility, I'm still on this maintenance drug. I wasn't fully sober. Mm-hmm. Um, I was off of the methamphetamine. However, I was still on this maintenance Drug, so I still hadn't fully experienced sobriety. Sure, but I, I had no idea that I was still the problem in my life. <laughs> yeah, that's what my next question was. I mean, at any point during all of this, all of this, you know, mm-hmm. do you even want to stop? You know, I. I mean, it wasn't if, until ahead. it wasn't until it was still years later. Yeah. I still didn't. But you because you couldn't grasp that you had a problem, right? So therefore you didn't want to stop. No, no. Yeah. My life had to get a lot more uglier. Yeah. Everyone's Mm -hmm. rock bottom is different. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think, and honestly, Sean, it was the fact that, you know, and nothing against the way that they did things with, with me and my kids, they were helping us, but them only being gone for for 30 days. um, That, that wasn't enough to scare you. No. It wasn't. It wasn't enough to scare like me. If that's the worst that's going to happen, right? Then maybe this isn't so bad. Yeah, yeah. And so I go, you know, my baby's got to come back, and I'm there with him, and it was incredibly difficult. And I was pregnant with my son while I was in treatment as well, yeah. so it was difficult. And I was learning about things, but uh, I just I didn't have the fear. I didn't have the fear yet, and I went back to my hometown and. Um, four months, so they, they returned custody of the children. And this was in 2016. They returned custody of the children. And four months later, I was back on the meth. Back on meth. Back on meth. 
and it's crazy. You know, yeah. it's it's the insanity of, and I still did not quite understand my disease. I didn't realize or quite grasp that I have an allergy in my brain, mm-hmm. and not I can't use one time. You know, yeah, without it, it ever. You know, <laughs> <laughs> my dad used to tell me that uh, before I got sober, he would like, you know, he obviously being an East Coast Yankee guy, he wasn't uh. so. Uh, he wasn't so meticulous with it, but he, he did say something to the effect that he was like, he's like, you just got something going on with you and your head and your brain that like, yes, you, don't, uh, you can't. And I was like, right, I, I get it. <laughs> and it's hard for people to right. understand. It is. It's hard for us to understand until we do. Yeah. You know, until it's, you know, kicking us in the face. Right. And we're like dying. Yes. Literally. And so, yeah, the next four years from 2016 until 2020, DHS didn't get involved for those four years. Um, I was living with my mother and my children and Mm -hmm. my two youngest kids' father. And life was, it just slowly, everything just started. I mean, long story short, I basically turned my mother's home into a trap house. Wow. You know, I mean, and they were, my everyone that loved me had to watch me just disintegrate yeah. before their eyes in my mother's home, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but I will tell you that, um, my kids, they, um, they are the true warriors in my story. Wow. Because what they had to go through and the fact that they're still good kids is just, Nothing short of a miracle. Nothing short of a miracle, you know? And and I'm so glad that, that they did experience that time with me in treatment because they know, you know, at least my oldest, she understands that, you know, this is, it's a thing. She doesn't want to do this. She has a problem, yeah. you know? So, um, but so that, you know, the next four years, it's just slowly, I'm just hopeless. And I remember at one point I can't, you know, I just accepted it was probably in the middle of that four years I had just accepted this was my life yeah I've talked to a lot of people about that and I you know even at four years sober I still love hearing that only because it doesn't you know I still to this day I because I felt that Mm -hmm. and so the reason I bring that up is because it's like I still four years into my sobriety I'll have memories of feeling like that and I'm like god damn like, was I crazy for thinking that? But you're not alone if that's you. Right. No, you're not alone. <laughs> if you are struggling, if you know somebody who's struggling mm-hmm. um, and you are just at this point where, oh, I guess this is it. A, it doesn't have to be that way anymore. B, right. and that's not you. It's not. It doesn't it's have not, to be. <laughs> it doesn't have to be. There is there is hope out I mean, there is help. There's so much help, you know, and... It's kind of a frightening feeling, isn't it? Like mm. looking yourself in the mirror and you kind of accepting that like this, you know, can't go on that much longer. Right. It, it was you know. like, yeah, it, you're, it's like this can't either. I, I'm going to die. Yeah. I'm going to die or God has to intervene. Yeah. And didn't have any understanding of God or what that looked like. I mean, I remember by the time I was 28, 29, Mm. right before I got sober this last time, I thought I would think about life 
you know, I'd be sitting yeah. there in a drunken haze or, a, you know, I'd been up for three days on cocaine, whatever. And I remember like the thought of growing old or yeah. having a family or anything like that was, just, it just didn't enter my head. Right. I, like, I really just felt like I was at the end. Yeah. None of that was on the table at all. Yeah. And then when I got sober, it was like a very freeing feeling, mm -hmm. but it was also terrifying in another sense because people, what do you want to do with your life? I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like, I didn't right. think I'd be alive still. Yeah. Because yeah, you're, it's like your brain just totally, you know, it, it, it looks at where it's at and okay, how do I survive? How do, you know, one day at a time, like how do I survive? And then whenever you, you know, you come into recovery and you have all these options, yeah. it's like, what? It's like, what? Can someone tell me what to do? <laughs> right. And I think that is uh, such an important piece of Hope Was Alive's program. I will say, you know, mm -hmm. in, the, in the first phase of like, that's why they tell you to go get a bank account. Yes. Read a book. Go see the doctor, like <laughs> do normal just do all these things that yeah. on the surface, you know, they mm. sound, you know, minute or like for, you know, kind of childlike almost. Yeah. But for us, it's like a, a bank account. What? Like, right. Like they're going to trust me I mean, to I have, have to, one of those. And I have to like walk in there by myself and yeah. set this, you know. Yeah. Um, so you're at a point where mm -hmm. you're not sure if, if you're even going to be seeing, you know, be, be around much longer. Right. Right. And then what? Well, you know, I, I, it was a very torn feeling, Sean, because it's like, I really didn't want to live, to be honest. I didn't. I was so angry and I was so, and I had all of this. Shame. Shame. Yes. But it was the, it. it's like an outer, and this may sound weird, but it's like an outer body experience. You literally watch everything falling apart around you. Yeah. And there's nothing you can do because- you're so wrapped up in this thing that has this hold of you. And so um, I love what you said there, mm -hmm. an out of body experience. Yes. I think so many of us can relate to that. Like, you know what you have to do, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. But on the one hand, you're so deep by that point that yeah. stopping doesn't seem possible. Doesn't seem possible. And even if you were to stop, Let's, you know, then what? Then what? <laughs> like, oh, already, now then everybody's going to hate me yeah. because of the life I've... So uh, now yeah. everyone hates me and I don't get this to make me feel better. Right. Now I'm going to have to face my pain. Right. That was the thing. I did, you know, and, 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 and my disease will thrive in that place. Yes. It will thrive in that place of, of um, self-pity. Yeah. And fear, you know, it's all of those things can just, even now in recovery, recovery, you know, those thoughts can just take me to a place of like, oh gosh, you know, not necessarily craving a drug or alcohol, but it just, you know, just not it can, the hopeless, Yeah, just being hopeless. And I remember hearing early on when I was in the, the program, I had, there was a speaker that came and talked to us, the guys, and he basically said to end his talk, he was like, Sometimes going to bed sober is mm -hmm. going to have to be enough for the day. Yes, that's good. Mm. And that is something that like I still have to live by because, you know, like Blake and I were talking about a couple episodes ago. It's like, I, I'd love to tell you that like <laughs> every day is just amazing now. Right. And that life still doesn't happen, but the bad mm. days still come. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, our job is 
is a, we, we both work in a very busy environment. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't have four kids at home um, <laughs> by myself, so I'm not going to try to compare yeah. our, our personal lives. But you do work very hard and you have a lot on your plate. Yes. Yeah. Well, the point I'm making, I guess, mm-hmm. is uh, sometimes getting to go to bed clear headed is just going to have to be enough. Yes. Right. Absolutely. No and, matter and what. It's, it's a win at the right. end of the day. If I don't drink, if I don't use and I just go to bed and everybody is home, yeah. <laughs> you know, well, my, you know, they may be overnight everyone's house, but you see what I mean? Like if, if, if at the end of the day, that is, that's a win. Yes. That's a win, you know? And, and, and just one day at a time, I know we hear that so many times, but it is true in recovery, yeah. you know, especially whenever life is on life's terms. Right. And there's, and you know, we like to be in control. Absolutely. <laughs> Control is awesome. (laughs) I know, right? But, you know, that's where we, um, we get to, you know, realize that we are not in control. All we have, for me, I have found that if it is outside of my hula hoop, my sponsor likes to tell me, um, if it's outside of my hula hoop, it is for God. Yeah. And there's a lot outside of my hula hoop, (laughs) you know? And, and I'm learning that since the kids are home now. Like I... Oh, it's it. well. Before we get yeah, to before the, we get there. Sorry, I hate to spoil the <laughs> yeah. ending, oh, viewers. Yes, the kids. Sorry. No, you're good. No, the kids are home. Yeah. but I want to talk about mm-hmm. a little bit those last few years. Yes, what leads you yes. to your rock bottom? Talk to me about what every day is like at this point. Every day at my rock bottom. Yeah. Oh my gosh, honestly, Sean, it's it's still a a blur. Yeah. You know, I was getting, I was so messed up, but I will tell you. So the first. So it, it's just, you know, it, it's chaos, it's screaming, it's fighting. The kids are just, uh, you know, we're not taking them and spending time with them. We're just being held up in this room and doing drugs. And, you Who's know, we? myself and their dad, the two little gotcha. ones, dad, okay. dad, um, which he's, he's dad to all of them. He's sure. He's still a dad to all of them. Um, but it was, and that was our life. Like we were just, you know, everything was wrapped up in the drugs. We would travel for hours to go and get our pills, mm-hmm. you know, and it just, there wasn't fun and, and things like that for the kids. It was just, it was very hopeless. And I, and I'm so hooked on the opiates, especially. So it was the, the, um, maintenance drug was Subutex. Yeah. And I had been prescribed that for seven years. Never got off of that. Not even when I was in treatment. So it just, I, I had finally accepted this is my life. This is what my kid's life is. And I, you know, I just didn't know what was going to happen. So finally, um, my mom, she could not watch it anymore. We lived with my mother yeah, and in her home. Um, and she just couldn't watch it anymore. So she finally got the courage. And at the time I say courage at the time I felt abandoned. Mm. Um, but it was the courage that she found in herself to call my sister and have my sister come get her and remove her from that situation. So she's not going to just fix this whole thing. She's like, you know what? I'm not sitting here and watching this anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It was painful. Yeah. It was so painful for her. And I remember, oh, Sean, I was so mad. I said, mom, how could you leave? You know, of course I was 
you know, her fault, not yours. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and, and then I'm thinking, how am I going to maintain this? Um, how am I going to stay on drugs? My mom's not paying the bills. Yeah. My mom's not, you know, here making sure that the kids are okay while I'm in there doing my drugs. Yeah. You know, like now what? And, and looking back, Sean, like that was the first thing God did to step in and save my life. Love that. Was that. And it wasn't a month later, DHS was at the door. They're back. They're back. (laughs) And this time, uh, oh no, of course I fought and I argued and I hollered it, you know, but I knew deep down inside they needed to take them. So now it's becoming more clear. It's becoming very clear. Mm -hmm. Yeah, before it was like, these people, whoever called, they're crazy. How dare they try to take my children? And now it's... And I was so sick. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody, I was so sick. Yes. <laughs> but um, this time, I was still bucking and I was still fighting, but deep down inside, I knew. It was I knew time. It was time that they were miserable. And so, um, and they, so they told me, you've got it. We will not return these children to you if you do not get off the subutex. I wouldn't take a UA, so they didn't know about the meth. Um, so, but they did know that I was on the, the subutex. It was clear I was on meth. I had track marks all over my arm, yeah. you know? Um, so it still took, you know, about, let's see, that was in September of 2019. I finally entered detox in October, but I'll tell you that time from September to October, everything was like happened so fast before I knew it I was staying in my car up here in the city and I was going to shelters for food like God was bringing me down to that bottom quick you know and I our dog our family dog we had him for 10 years and he was in the car with me and I was holding on I was holding on with to this dog and I was like you know daddy I can't leave the dog and he finally you know, and this dog was like just precious to our family. He grew up with my oldest daughter. Like he was, I loved this animal. And, um, of course I'm still getting super high. And my dad finally, you know, we were at the police department in Hobart at the animal shelter. And he said, Deanna, it's the dog or it's your kids. And I was like, Oh God. But people have to talk to me like that. (laughs) (laughs) At this point, this is the only way to get through. Yeah. Like, and I was like, okay, dad. And so I let that dog go in the animal shelter, which he did end up, someone did end up getting him and he found another home. Praise God. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I was holding on to anything to not have to walk through those, the doors of that detox center. Um, but I finally did. And so that was in October of, 2019. So my journey was still a little bit wacky from there. I, you know, I did detox, went to a uh, work program for a few days, ended up in a psych ward for seven days, and then made my way into an all women's inpatient treatment. And that was in December of 2019. Okay. And uh, 30 days into my treatment, um, in the, you know, my stay, I was allowed a court pass. So go to Hobart for DHS court, right? Mind you, I'm still filled with anger and I'm still filled with, I knew I had a problem, but I still wasn't quite there yet. 
wasn't willing to see myself. Um, and so on my way to Hobart and I get drunk on my way to DHS court. DHS is already pre will pre will telling me they're they're done. Yeah. They're not they're But you decide to have a drink on the way over. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. It so I get down there and um the court actually rules in my favor. You know, oh gosh. I I tell D, my DHS worker what I would, what changes I would like to see, how I wanted the children to all be in one home together, and all these things. And they, you know, they they, they did that. They heard me. Yeah. But still, even after that, we go to a visit at the office, and I, I just go into a rage, and I'm screaming at her. I'm so angry at her because she's the problem. Long story short, um, ended up being really bad. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the court proceeding had already happened. So the changes were going to be made. However, by the time I walked out of there, there was quite a few things that transpired in that, that office that day. And I had no idea, you mm-hmm. know, if I was going to have my family period Yeah, on my way back to treatment. And so I'm just like freaking out. I'm crying the whole way back. And it just, I got back to the treatment center. I passed my UA. I didn't fail for alcohol, but something, something inside of me was just like, something's wrong with me. Yeah. You know, something is really wrong with me. Like, and why? And I couldn't lie anymore. I couldn't manipulate anymore. I couldn't deceive anymore. I had to, and I just, you know, I'm in this place where they can help me. Like, I, it doesn't make sense that I would drink on my way to DHS court. Why would I do that? Right. You know, things are starting to make a little bit of sense. So I get honest and I tell them what happened. And, and Sean, for the next, the next three days, I am in my room and I'm reading my Bible and I'm crying out to God. And I just, I finally said the prayer of like, God, change me. Yeah. I didn't ask him to change anything in my life. Change me. Yeah. You know? And there was um, a uh, one of the workers, you know, because even though I got honest, I still had consequences. Sure. <laughs> so I wasn't allowed to go to church with the rest of the, the, the ladies in the facility. So uh, there was a woman who brought um, a church service in online in the cafeteria area and I just I was just sobbing listening to the worship and the song was breaking chains right and I'm listening to it and I'd been in the word and I was just you know I said you know I'm crying out to God in my heart and in my mind you know and something happened to me that morning and I just I could just feel just the presence of God over and over and this peace this peace came over me that I can't even begin to describe to you. I can't explain it in words. Now I know it was the Holy Spirit. But at the time I was like, what is going on? (laughs) And, but right then I knew, I said, okay, God, I, I, okay. You know, like I'm with you. You're with me. I'm not alone anymore. Not alone anymore. Not alone anymore. And it wasn't, it was a week later. Hope Was Live came into recruit and I knew that that's where I was supposed to be. That was the place for you. That was it. Yeah. Well, there's, you know, these two ladies come in and they're 
just they love Jesus and, <laughs> and yeah. I give my life to Christ, you know, and that, and, and, and so, and one of the women, their, their children were in a permanent guardianship. My children, um, were heading into a permanent guardianship. And so there were so many similarities and they talked about how, you know, they had a solution for people who had problems with relationships and drugs and alcohol. <laughs> The so whole I said, that's me. Yeah. All of it. Yes. <laughs> All of it. Yeah. So, um, that, that was where my, my journey began. Um, and, and, and I haven't let, I haven't relapsed. I, you know, my sobriety date is January 4th of 2020. And so it's, yeah. 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 And so, yeah, I love it. Yeah, I know. And the rest is just playing out before us every single day Mm. up here. Yeah. And the kids are home. They're home. You've got a job. Yes. The place that the journey started at. Mm Mm-hmm. Like you said, you've got a, how much sobriety do you have? A little over three years? A little over three years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And it just keeps getting better. It does. It does. So when I came into Hope is Alive, they, you know, decided that they, DHS was done they're going to implement a permanent guardianship. And so I just like trusting, like I knew I was where I was supposed to be. I didn't know how long it was going to take, but I knew I had to do what I needed to do to heal myself. I love that you said that. And Mm -hmm. I want our listeners out there to hear that because we think that we know best man. so so often. And I've seen a lot of people come in and leave or just not come in Mm. um, because of all this stuff going on over here. Right. Worry about you for a little bit. Yes. Make you better. Yeah. For a little while. Yes. Because if you're not healthy, if you're not well, if you're not ready, then none of nothing else is going to matter. It's not. It won't. You know, and and that's that's the most important thing is is healing yourself. Yes. And you know, and it's okay to do that. It's okay. You know, letting go of the things that happen before the day you decide right. to get well does not matter. What matters is taking that step of faith yes. and saying like, this is possible and I can do it. Mm-hmm. You know, but you we, have to want to, you have to want to, you have to want to. Um, and it, t- you know, and, and it, sometimes it takes others, others get there faster than others, you know? Yeah. Sometimes it takes, it takes longer. Um, but just, Oh, you know, just getting to that day is what's important. Everyone's story is different, but as soon as you want it, it's there. It is. And there's so much there. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So much that can come. Yeah. Well, Deanna, thank you so much for sitting with us today. Yeah. Incredible story. Like I said, (laughs) I hope everybody out there got as much out of that as I do every Mm -hmm. time. Um, So proud of you. Thank you. So great to see where you are today. Wonderful mom. Wonderful wonderful leader up here, wonderful coworker and someone that everybody out there can look to when they're looking for some hope. Mm -hmm. If this is your first time listening to the hope dealers podcast, be sure to like subscribe, all that good stuff. Follow us on Instagram at, at hope dealers pod or at hope is alive. And then on Facebook at facebook.com slash hope is alive. Okay. And we'll see you again next time for the hope dealers podcast. Thanks. For a while, let me feel alive. To hold me back, take my time, just enjoy the ride.
Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Hope Dealers podcast. If you or someone you know needs to get in touch with Hope is Alive, or maybe you just want some more information, please visit hopeisalive.net or call 1-844-3-HOPE-NOW. That's 1-844-3-HOPE-NOW. I feel, I feel, I feel alive.